Welcome to the More Than a Pastor Show with Rich Avery. If you're tired of feeling stuck, broke, or unfulfilled in your life and ministry, you're in the right place. This show is about helping you reimagine your calling so you can enjoy the life, impact, and income you were made for. And now your host, marathon runner, In-N-Out burger lover, and a guy who's more than a pastor, Rich Avery. Hey, welcome back to More Than a Pastor. My name is Rich Avery. I'm a multi-vocational pastor and coach dedicated to helping you provide for your family what your ministry income can't. Stick around and I'll show you how to turn your ministry know-how into sustainable income through a business or side hustle you'll love so you can serve God and provide for your family no matter what. Thanks so much for taking the time to join me today. If you're new to the show, you can learn more about me, get the show notes for today's episode, and download some free resources to help you not just survive, but thrive in these uncertain times over at morethanapastor.com slash 14. That's the number one four for episode 14. Well, today we're continuing our series on why I think the future of the church in America is co-vocational. Why I think the church of the 21st century will look less like the 20th century and a lot more like the 1st century. And with that, I'll talk about why I think now is the time for pastors like you and me to figure out how we can leverage our ministry skills into a secondary income source so that we can serve God and provide for our families no matter what. The episodes in this series are on the shorter side, maybe 15, 10, 15 minutes each. And in each one, I'm sharing a different cultural, social, or economic shift or trend that I believe points to a co-vocational future for pastors in the church in America. And why I think now is the time for you to consider ways to create sustainable income for your family outside of your church. With this series, I've got a free resource I'm offering right now. It's called How to Know if Starting Your Own Business is Right for You. In it, I share the top 12 signs that you just might be ready to start your own business. And with that, also the top three things every pastor must have in order to launch and grow a successful, profitable business. Download your free copy today at morethanapastor.com slash biz. That's morethanapastor.com slash B-I-Z. So in today's show, we're going to talk about toxic church culture, Beth Moore, hashtag church two, and the co-vocational future of the church. And as I've said before, you know, I don't intend to get into theological or political debates. Uh, I want to share some thoughts, some opinions, but really what I'm sharing is what I think are trends that are pointing to a co-vocational future of the church. You can argue with me about those things, but I'm not arguing like for the positions one way or the other necessarily, but I'm pointing out how these things are seeking, or not, they're not seeking to, they, they are uh, dividing the church in some ways, they are pushing people away from the church in some ways, and you and I can um, argue about whether that's okay or if that's a problem or not, but uh, I want to share my viewpoint on these things, and then, yeah, I'd love to get your feedback on it as well. So let me today define um, what these particular issues are, in case you're not familiar with any of them, and explain how they relate to each other. 
And then we'll talk about how I think these issues are impacting in uh, impacting the church in America today, how I think they're going to contribute uh, to a sustained decline in church participation and giving, and again, why I think now is the time for you to create income outside of your church so you can serve God and provide for your family no matter what. So let's define what I mean about toxic church culture, Beth Moore, hashtag church two, and explore how these issues may be linked together. Well, the phrase toxic church, just at face value, that should be a contradiction in terms, right? I mean, the idea of a toxic church culture should be unthinkable. Wouldn't you agree? Sadly, the church is not immune to toxic culture environments. I think we all know that, and we've heard about, or even maybe some of us have experienced firsthand, environments that weren't healthy. If you're not familiar with the meaning of toxic church culture, let me share a short description I found helpful in a book entitled A Church Called Tove, Forming a Goodness Culture That Resists Abuses of Power and Promotes Healing. You might know Tov is the Hebrew word for good, and this book is written by a father and daughter team of authors, Scott McKnight and Laura Berenger. Incidentally, Scott McKnight is a New Testament professor at Northern Baptist Seminary. His daughter, Laura Berenger, is an author and teacher, and both were former members at Willow Creek Community Church in the Chicago area. And here is uh, seven factors uh, that they use to describe toxic church culture. Number one, narcissistic leaders who believe they are superior and that the rules don't apply to them. Number two, leaders who wield their power with intimidation and fear, bullying, emotionally abusive, and demeaning. Number three, an environment where the institution matters more than people. Four, when false narratives are given to somehow justify or cover up a situation instead of telling the truth about allegations. Five, when loyalty is more important than doing justice or doing what is right. Six, when the leaders are celebrities and they enjoy it and take advantage of it. Instead of taking on the role of being a servant in the church. And seven, when the culture becomes a leader culture instead of a pastor-shepherd culture. As I read the description, did any pastors or churches come to your mind, maybe from your personal experience or from news stories you've heard in the past? Certainly, for myself, some names came to my mind, sadly. But toxic, many of them, in my mind, I think of larger church environments, like like these authors were part of Willow Creek Community Church, and so we've heard about allegations of this sort of activity from Bill Hybels, the former pastor, or maybe you've listened to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast in the last uh, year like I have, and you heard the stories about Mark Driscoll, the founder of Mars Hill Church in Seattle. But toxic church cultures certainly are not unique to mega churches or to prominent pastors. You'll find toxic churches, you'll find toxic leaders in churches of all sizes, and most will probably never make the headlines. But when they do it, it kind of feels basically like the the same story each time, doesn't it? Toxic 
cultures are the result of toxic leaders who think they're above everyone else. They engage in mentally and emotionally abusive behavior, which sometimes leads to sexual misconduct. If someone dares to question the leader's actions, no, the questioner is immediately deemed to be disloyal, and not just uh, to the leader, but to the church and disloyal to God. Then the leader makes up false stories about why you're wrong and they're right in order to defend their actions. And then because the organization's board is made up of people who are personally close to the leader, the board feels it's their duty to defend or protect the leader and the organization and to even defend or protect the gospel that the leader is supposed to represent. And the cycle continues to repeat because there's no real accountability. Have you heard this story before? Let's just leave this right here for a minute. And now let's talk about Beth Moore, a popular Bible study teacher, author, and, well, woman, who, because she's a Bible teacher who is also a woman, she's for years been attacked and maligned in the name of Jesus, of course, by certain male evangelical leaders who... I think, are being arrogant, Um, not because they believe the Bible prohibits women from being pastors and teachers in the church, but by their actions of how they say it or how they're demeaning to Beth Moore and to other leaders like her. Things really came to a head in the last couple of years when Moore's denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention, which she ended up leaving in 2021, um, and with some once prominent pastors like John Piper and John MacArthur, they all said some incredibly demeaning things about her in an attempt to put Beth Moore in her place, which, as John MacArthur said, was, of course, in her home. So what's my point in mentioning Beth Moore here? I'll tell you in just a minute. But first, let me say, again, I don't intend to get into theological debates about complementarianism versus egalitarianism or women in ministry, etc. For myself, I grew up in a more fundamentalist type of church and, and that espoused the more complementarian view, I'd, I'd say. And, you know, they really took to heart the Apostle Paul's words in 1 Timothy 2 that he'd never allow a woman to teach or have authority over a man and would never have a woman. And so our church would never have a woman in the pulpit because of that. But somehow it was okay for almost all my Sunday school teachers to be women. But since I've been in the Wesleyan church the last 30 years, I've come to a great appreciation for a more egalitarian view that affirms the gifts and callings of both men and women to preach and teach God's word. And I've personally been blessed to serve alongside with and sit under the leadership of several godly female pastors, including the church I'm a part of today. So the reason I mention Beth Moore here is not to single her out or to promote, I don't want to promote the virtues of women in ministry per se, but to use her as a representation of all women in ministry leadership who have ever been victims of the kind of prideful, arrogant, and demeaning treatment that Moore has received over the last, well, over several years. The selective biblicism, the insults, the personal attacks, the calls to go home that Moore and other women have received from patriarchal male leadership, that's got to grieve the heart of God. Wouldn't you agree? Personally, it makes me sad and angry. And to that point, it's angered and disillusioned many within the church and even outside of it who've, who've come to believe that patriarchy and misogyny are somehow 
so baked in or encoded in the American evangelical church that most people inside of it can't or choose not to see it. And thus we're incapable or unwilling to address it. They ask, how can any man who claims to follow Jesus treat his sisters as second-class citizens of the kingdom? So again, I'm just going to leave that right there for just a moment, and let's talk about uh, hashtag church2 or hashtag me2 movements that we've heard about the last, I'd say the last five years or so, there's been an avalanche of stories and allegations of sexual misconduct, assault, and abuse within organizations like universities, corporations, and sadly, even the church. The hashtag MeToo and hashtag Church2 movements have given voice to hundreds of victims who've lived in fear of ever coming forward and to those who did come forward whose accusations have long been ignored or dismissed. Doesn't it seem like we can't go more than a couple weeks without hearing a story of another evangelical pastor or leader who's been accused of or admitted to some kind of sexual misconduct or abuse? And as heartbreaking as that is, It's even more so when we hear the stories of denial and self-protection on the part of the pastor in the church, the intimidation, the emotional abuse that the victims suffer, the failure of their church or organization to provide systems of safety, transparency, accountability, to prevent these things from even ever happening in the first place. And then there's no system to protect the victims after these things happen. I just my mind goes back to the Watergate scandal of 1972 when when uh, we know that there were crimes that happened, but it was the denials and the cover-ups that magnified the the original crimes. And I, I'll never I'm never going to say that any kind of sexual uh, abuse or or um, mistreatment is is minimal. Uh, but I just say that when when people who have done that cover it up, deny it. That just creates more and more of a serious problem. Allegations of spiritual and sexual abuse by popular Bible teacher uh, and apologist Dr. Ravi Zacharias came to light as early as 2008, according to an article in Christianity Today. The Ravi Zacharias International Ministry Board board, uh, trusted Ravi's denials, but they quickly dismissed many of the allegations out of hand. Other times, they performed some internal investigations, which discredited the accusers and the witnesses, and they cleared Zacharias of any wrongdoing. And sadly, there have been many reports of Zacharias and his board harassing and intimidating the accusers. We should remember that it's not just celebrity pastors from megachurches, it's not just big leaders, big name leaders who are guilty of these sorts of things. In February of 2019, the Houston Chronicle and the San Antonio Express News reported that 380 clergy, lay leaders, and volunteers within the Southern Baptist Convention had faced allegations of sexual misconduct, leaving behind over 700 victims since 1998. And again, many of those cases were covered up, the wrongdoers were protected, and the victims were denied the justice they deserved. So what's my point in bringing up toxic evangelical church culture, the mistreatment of women in ministry, the sexual misconduct, and and the abuse crisis in the church today? And do any of these things, do these things have anything in common or to do with co-vocational future for the church? And you might say, after all, these things aren't happening in my church or my denomination. 
or with myself. And I'm really glad I, I believe that, and I don't I don't question that. But I think that no matter if we're innocent or not, I think every pastor, I think every church is going to be seen as guilty by association in the minds of a lot of people in our culture today. Again, my goal in this series isn't to have political or theological debates about issues like women in ministry, but to share my belief that the traditional institutional types of churches, I think, won't get a pass on this anymore or the benefit of the doubt, even if these things aren't happening in your church. And here's why. Because isolated incidents of mistreatment or misconduct no longer seem so isolated. These stories have become much more frequent in public. And the pride and the arrogance of male leadership seems to continue to grow. Too often there are denials and cover-ups that show the watching world that the church is more concerned about protecting itself than in protecting the vulnerable. And people see that the church has become an expensive institution that's more bent on self-preservation than being the body of Christ that gives itself away to others. People feel like the church is somehow by nature or design patriarchal and misogynistic. But hey, please keep sending us your money. And people, especially women, feel the church is not a safe place. It doesn't practice what it preaches. It doesn't protect the weak and vulnerable. It protects its own self-interest and continues to perpetuate patriarchal leadership structures. So as a result, I think this means that a lot of our existing traditional, more institutional type churches are, are going to be getting smaller because fewer people want to be a part of a church like that. Again, guilt by association. And I think pastors and churches are really going to have an opportunity here to explore some new non-traditional models of church, what some are calling fresh expressions that are more organic, less institutional, more geared to reach people that'll never connect with what they think of as an institutional, traditional church. They may never, people that may never come into the door of a church, but will connect in a coffee house or some other way of doing ministry. And I think it's going to take more of these non-traditional types of churches to reach more people in new ways in the uh, in our culture going forward. Something else I think the younger generations are hunger, hungering for is less of a top-down corporate model of leadership and, and more of a shared leadership model, you know, where people have more opportunity to participate in leadership, in making decisions, and it's not like told to them and dictated down from the pastor, from the board, from the top. And so with this, I think uh, a lot of traditional type churches are going to struggle to survive on tithes and offerings. I think we're seeing that already in many churches. And as tithes and offerings shrink, Many pastors who have been full-time may have to become part-time, and that's why I believe the time is now for you and me to launch our own business or side hustle. And again, I'm not saying this is the end of the church, not at all, but maybe it's the beginning of the end of the church as we've known it in America for the last 50 or 100 years. Maybe God wants to do something new to de-institutionalize the church, to, re to correct some of these wrongs and abuses and to get back to the core message of the gospel, to be more who the church God wants the church to be, not self-preservation, but giving itself away. So anyway, 
That's my thought on this subject. I'd love to get your feedback. Again, my goal isn't to be into any theological debates, but just to share where I think, uh, what are, I think are some of the signs uh, that are pointing to a co-vocational future for the church. And uh, I'd love to get your feedback. You can email me at rich at morethanapastor.com. Well, before we go, um, next time, another light topic, progressive theology, LGBTQ, and the co-vocational future of the church. I hope you'll join me for that. And uh, remember, during this series, I'm offering a free resource for you. It's um, called How to Know If Starting Your Own Business is Right for You. In it, I share the top 12 signs that you might be ready to start your own business. What are the 12 traits that you need to have in business? And then uh, also the top three things every pastor must have if they want to be successful in launching a profitable business or side hustle. Get your copy today at morethanapastor.com slash biz. That's morethanapastor.com slash B-I-Z. Well, that's it for this episode of the More Than a Pastor show. If you enjoyed it, do me a favor, would you? And subscribe if you haven't already done so, and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that that you listen. It's a great way to support the show. It just takes a few seconds. And as always, you can find my contact information, show notes, and useful resources over at morethanapastor.com. Until next time, remember that you are more than a pastor. Saying yes to God's call doesn't mean you have to say yes to feeling stuck, broke, or unfulfilled in your life and ministry. Let's work together and create the life, impact, and income you were made for.